One of the large army helicopters has taken off. It is known that uh, the army helicopters are loaded with, uh, with what is called riot gas, though we're not quite sure what kind of gas it is. Anyway, here, uh, here come the helicopters, and they, uh, they are now heading for the prison. One of the large army helicopters now going overhead and over the wall into the prison. Anton Karras, theme song from The Third Man. I love to give that guy credit. He did such a great job. At the very top, a uh, news clip from September 13th, 1971, out of Attica. That was a day state police swarmed in on the prison and murdered about 40 people, including guards, including guards, not just prisoners, but guards too. Um, I'm Randy Critical, Randy Critical, live on the fly here on 99.5 FM in New York City, WBAI.org, free speech radio. Give to WBAI.org if you want to support uh, free speech radio here. Now, the reason why I played that clip is because I have a very special show today, and it's, it's, the, it's the maiden voyage of, of a new series I'm going to be presenting both on WBAI and on my website, which is randycritical.com or assangecountofreedom.com. Uh, and that is uh, focusing on criminal justice matters in the US, uh, mass incarceration, uh, police brutality, uh, courtroom brutality, uh, prosecutorial brutality, uh, the whole shebang. And uh, I figured this is the good year. This is a good year. It's a 50 year anniversary of not only that, uh, what the tragedy at Attica, but also 50 year anniversary coming up August 21st of the murder of George Jackson at San Quentin. So what I've done, thanks to the archivist at uh, Pacifica, uh, Otis McClay down there in uh, Texas, I have a wonderful interview with my dear friend and brother, Cornell West. Uh, Cornell West did the show on the 45 year anniversary of Attica, way back September 13th, um, 2016, just before the uh, US election. And uh, he not only spoke, it was all about Attica. This 15 minute interview was, was focusing on Attica, but we drifted off onto other subjects, including George Jackson. So I, 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 I'm, I want to thank Otis McClay for finding this. And uh, it's so great that it was unearthed and we're able to play it. This is the first time I'm going to hear it uh, is today, uh, all the way through. And uh, so what uh, we talked about was we talked about Bill Kunstler and we talked about George Jackson. We talked about Attica and, and what led to it and a lot of other stuff, but um, we did, on Kunstler. Here, I want to first just to set it up. This is Bill Kunstler, who played a major role down there. Uh, and he was a negotiator. He was a chief negotiator for the prisoners. They chose him. And uh, here, here is a clip of Bill after these 
people were murdered by the state police. And we'll talk on the other side. Thank you very much. Yesterday, I think at exactly this time, Tom Soto on my right and I and about eight others walked into D-Block, a Vatican prison. We faced some 1,500 prisoners, most of whom's arms were locked together. These were the so-called rebels of D-Block. I brought with me to read to you what these men wanted, what their cry was to a government that murdered them today. They said this, we are men, we are not beasts, and do not intend to be beaten or driven as such. The entire prison populace has set forth to change forever the ruthless brutalization and disregard for the lives of the prisoners here. What has happened here is but the sound before the fury of those who are oppressed. What demands that will bring closer to reality the demise of these prison institutions that serve no useful purpose to the people of America, but to those who would enslave and exploit the people of America. All right, so the man who had more influence on my life than anybody else, William Kunstler, and in his spirit, I'm going to, like I said, recommit myself to criminal justice matters on this show, but I will not drift away too far from Assange. That, that is a major, major case, and we're not, we're going to do both. Uh, and uh, I'm so happy that we, we are able to unearth and, and, and preserve this uh, interview with the great Cornell West. He is such a treasure. And so um, let me just play one more clip because he mentions this, I don't want to do it during the interview, and that's George Jackson's mother, uh, Georgia Jackson, after he was murdered uh, by prison authorities. Uh, we're going to play this little clip, and, and um, we'll be right back. Do you think that George's death was inevitable, given the kind of things he was saying and writing? He, they couldn't let him live. It wouldn't be any way possible for them to let him live. He's a black man. They're afraid that people will begin to listen. And they had. People all over the world had begun to listen to George. And I certainly know the people in this country had. That's the reason why they framed him to be murdered the way he was. To try to discredit everything that he had said. To try to paint him as an insane maniac, an animal. That was the reason for it. Could he be violent? Only if people were violent to him. I can be violent also, and I imagine so can you. You see, that's the whole story of America. They take their violence and turn it back around on somebody else. I don't have to talk about American violence. You can look all over the world and see American soldiers everywhere fighting in other people's countries and killing them. So if I were, if I were running the country in America, I wouldn't open my mouth about violence as many people as they've murdered in Vietnam in the past 10 years, and they're going to talk about violence? As many black people that get killed every day in this country and nobody knows or cares, and they're going to tell me about violence? How they wiped out a whole nation of Indians and they're going to say something to me about violence? I don't want to hear 
So there you go. That kind of sets the stage uh, for this interview with uh, Cornell West five years ago. And uh, this is the 50 year anniversary once again of Attica. And we're going to begin and end the way it was that day when I interviewed Cornell West. It, it began, it was transitional music. He was my third guest that day because he had other things to do. And uh, it's going to begin with um, working on the Chain Gang by Sam Cooke. And it's going to end uh, with Johnny Cash uh, from uh, singing San Quentin. And that's it. And so uh, that's it for me. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the show. Working on the chain, gang, all day long they're saying, Buh. ah, Buh. ah, Buh. ah, Buh. ah, ah, don't you know that's the sound of the men working on the chain, gang, that's the sound of the men working on the chain gang all day long they work so hard till the sun is going down working on the highways and byways and wearing wearing a frown you hear them moaning their lives away then you hear somebody say that's the sound of the men Chain. You got him? All right. All right. Uh, that's Sam Cook. I think our next guest knows all about Sam Cook. And you do not need a introduction. Hello? Do we have uh, Professor Dr. Cornell West on the line here? How you doing, my dear brother? I haven't seen you in a long time. I think the last time we were in uh, court together at 100 Center Street, where we were convicted on disorderly conduct char charges. Brother, it was a blessing to go to jail with you and Carl Dix and Stephen Phelps and a whole host of others, my brother. Yeah, it was really a lot of fun uh, being in jail with you up there. It was you and Carl Dix that kicked off this in-stop-and-frisk street movement, and Carl should be given a lot of credit for that. A lot of times he's overlooked. But that night in jail at that precinct was a lot of fun i must say it was like barney miller time wasn't it well brother you brought a whole lot of life to all of us we sang some motown songs but of course most importantly we were just in a tradition of trying to bear witness to justice keeping track of the humanity of those precious young people who at that time were being so disproportionately targeted and insistently and incessantly uh, are targeted by the police. Now, we know Stop and Fear is still going on, but, I mean, I think at that time it was just so out of control, it was unbelievable. You think they reinvented the name? Did they just reinvent the name? I think it continues almost. Uh, oh, no, I, no I, I think it's still going on, but, but I think for scope, I think there has been a curtailment of it. There's no doubt about it. When Bill de Blasio named uh, Bill Bratton as the police commissioner? Oh, absolutely. No, no, we just figured, wait a minute now, we... You know, we, 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 one of the reasons why we thought uh, was that uh, we were going to get a shift, a paradigm shift when it came to the, uh, the policing in 
poor communities, especially black and brown poor communities. And we, of course, we had our critique of uh, Brother, Brother Bratton, and there he was again. But uh, we've seen this before, though, Brother Randy, you know. So-called yeah. progressive politicians come in the office, and lo and behold, you get the same crew. The White House. But, uh, what about the White House? The last eight years, oh, how disappointed oh are you my God. with this president? Well, you know, you end up with a Wall Street presidency, a drone presidency, a massive surveillance presidency uh, in the name of hope and change. And unfortunately, we didn't have enough voices. We didn't have enough organizations that were willing to tell the truth about the Obama administration. And, of course, it's going to come back to haunt us, my brother. Yeah. Very much so. But I do want to salute you. We're going to move to what we're show. talking about. We're talking then, about oh, yes, 45 years. 1971. This date. Rebellion. Yes. Attica That's why rebellion. I called you. I want you to just riff on that for a while. Give us your thoughts, your uh, ref, you know, recollection and some reflections on Attica and vis a vis today. Well, I mean, I go back to, uh, at that time, I was oh, 19 years old. As, as you know, I've taught in prisons ever since I was 17. And uh, I was just blessed to teach Rikers uh, there to my philosophy class, just uh, just finished up recently. And uh, at 17, I was already involved with the struggles of what were going on in prison. So 71 was very clear that the, the level of devalued life, especially black and brown poor life in prison, was barbaric. It's lucky to be able to take a shower in hot weather. And so what you actually got was the black freedom movement spilling over into the prisons. As you know, it was two weeks before it was two weeks after Brother George Jackson had been killed. In California. So it was in, exactly in San Quentin. And so you got this kind of response and reaction, but that black freedom movement spilling over into the prisons concerned about what? Basic kinds of conditions. Prison conditions, prisons' rights, just trying to be human beings some space, some access to water, some access to cleanness, on and on and on. And when we saw the response of the of the state at that time, Nelson Rockefeller, it was it was vicious, it was ugly. And uh, uh and let's just be honest about it, you know, what is it now, forty five years later? Forty five years brother? today. I don't think we've learned a lesson. The country hasn't learned a lesson, man. We've seen the quadrupling of the prison system under both Republicans and Democrats, uh, led by white politicians, black politicians, brown politicians. It's the neo-liberal regime that militarizes along with financializes and privatizes in the larger society that makes it difficult for people to have to makes it difficult for people to escape from not just the economic poverty but the breakdown of public life the breakdown of community the breakdown of solidarity uh, and it's 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 you know the capital civilization and backdrop with its empire around the world uh, and bringing in that military force and we've seen the militarizing of police departments, for example, uh, 
and urban centers in the last uh, 10 years. This is especially so under the Obama administration where you see the escalation of the war-like weapons available for urban police departments. You saw it in Ferguson. You were there in Ferguson, weren't you? Cities as well. Oh, very much so. You were there. You've been arrested. Nomination of uh, Frederick Douglass. That's what we West. There's uh, yeah, that kind of moral, that moral passion that, that Theodore Parker and, and Frederick Douglass. But you want to be, you know, just a little bit like Harriet Tubman, a little bit like Ida B. Wells Barnett, and a little bit like our dear brother, who I love so. William Kunstler. Yes. He was oh, at Attica. Oh, my God. Did you know Kunstler? Right well, I was on television with him two or three times, so I didn't know him, but we had conversations. I know you had real intimate Yeah, he was very, very close. His daughter's <laughs> listening. But he is your godfather. Yes, yes. His daughter and his wife are both listening. His kids are listening yes. to this show. William Kunstler uh, is one of the great, great freedom fighters of the 20th century, and I always mention him when you're talking about uh, white brothers who that, was willing to love black people, love brown and black and red and yellow and white poor and working people, and then using his brilliance, his legal skills. In Attica in those days, my brother. That's the first one they went to, the inmates in Attica. They prisoners in Attica went to Bill Kunstler to be the negotiator because they trusted him. There's a certain aura. Black prisoners bringing in had earned the kind of respect and repute with black folk. And of course, he had uh, uh, had been under vicious attack. Kunstler is somebody who uh, heroic uh, action of the prisoners themselves. I mean, all of this as we move into 2016 and 17 and 18 and try to build on what we learned in September 13th, the day of the, the ugly attack. Was it 43 dead, my brother? I think it was 45, but maybe it was 43, was 45. It 45. Yes. Yeah. I know you were there my with Sarah Kunstler and Carl Dix and, and Reverend Phelps, uh, I think four years ago, was it? Uh, on the, what was it, the 40th anniversary, five years ago, up there at Riverside Church. And you had a wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Uh, That's so, exactly so not a celebration, right. but a memorial. And uh, that really uh, kicked off you and Dick getting together to start this uh, movement against yeah, Stop and Carl. Frisk. The brother Carl. Yes. Just been wonderful. Sister Sarah, though, she's, uh, she comes right out of that rich consular legacy. Yes, right she really, that. she's have, working. Have you, read the new, have you read that new book, though, my brother, the Heather uh, Ann Thompson book, Blood in the Water? I have not. I've, I've heard of it. They say it's the most meticulous study of the of the Attica. Rebellion. Oh yes, please. I know you're out there. You're you're an advisor uh, for That's Jill right. Stein. Uh, do you have much hope that she can raise some of these issues uh, and get them out there? She can get into the debate. Uh, she well, she's good on race, that, right? That that sister, sister Jill Stein and, and brother Jamu Baraka just arrested dealing with this uh, this key in North Dakota. <laughs> That's right. The pipeline in North Dakota, and I think we've, we've actually had some some victory there. I know Winona Duke and so many of the other visionary and courageous indigenous brothers and sisters and others just bearing witness in a magnificent way. 
And, uh, and, you know, at this point, as you know, though, Brother Randy, man, it's just a matter of uh, getting up, telling the truth, man, right. just every day. You don't really know what, wh- whether you can win or not short term. It always looks right. like it's a David I mean, versus Goliath-like situation. But you, but the thing is, is that we have to keep the motion going. going. Listen, keep the truth absolutely. telling the justice with you had a fighting going. No you got to keep moving. That's why I love your radio David, station. That's why I love your radio David station. Walker's <laughs> appeal. <laughs> David <laughs> David Walker's a, that's right. You got to keep moving. We're all part of this link, right? Or this chain that's link right. fence or whatever you want to call it. You know, David Walker's appeal didn't end it. Elijah Lovejoy uh, didn't end it. He got killed. Other people were killed. Uh Nat Turner, Gabriel Prosser uh, along the way, uh, then you had the, all of those in Boston in the in the abolition movement. You had Garrett Smith up up north, and it, you just got to keep moving. You said that you got to be willing to go to jail and or die if you want to see change. That's right. That's there's no doubt about it. That in the end, you're choosing to be a certain kind of human being. No one of us perfect, but you're trying to tell the truth about the suffering in the world. Call caused by structural structures and persons who choose within those structures to be indifferent and callous to the suffering of others. And this is not just a matter of skin color. That we know in South Sudan you got indifferent, callous leaders making big money and yet the suffering is going on. We can go right to Asia. You got occupation of Kashmir. You got Dalit people in India who are being mistreated. We go to the Middle East. You got failed states. You got U.S. invasions and occupations that leave tremendous lineages of suffering. You got our precious Palestinian brothers and sisters who are under Israeli occupation, who whose humanity needs to be lifted up. You go back to peasants in Brazil. We can go on and on and on. This is a human affair. It's something, again, Brother William Kunstler understood so very well. So did Martin King. So did Malcolm X. So does Brother Randy. I tried to myself. Well, you are really a... a, You're as... as, John Brown was referred to uh, by Melville as a comet. You're one of those comets that just you rarely see in life, and I really appreciate you being part of this. Uh, I just want to ask you one last question. Sure. Uh, sure. About Julian Assange, because the new developments came out. You were recently interviewed uh, by Julian Assange, or was it vice versa? You know, I had gone to the, uh, the embassy in London a couple of years ago and had a chance to interview him and put it on the radio show. I then had my radio show with Brother Tavis Smiley and uh, uh, I had a magnificent dialogue with him and I I stand with him. I stand with Edward Snowden. I'm glad to see Brother Oliver Stone's film coming out this week. This Friday. Absolutely. I'm calling for the the pardon of Brother Snowden, just like I've called for the pardon of Mumia Abu-Jamal. I've called for the pardon of Oscar Lopez Rivera. We're going to be in Washington, D.C. October the 9th to highlight the plight of the Puerto Rican brothers and sisters and why Oscar Lopez Rivera ought to be Absolutely. so with Leonard Peltier. Peltier. Sunday Sundiata. You're all over. I'll tell you something. You are a breath of fresh air. You're a big ball of energy and a freedom fighter, and I love you, and thank you for for you. Oh, 
love it. Love it. The man in black. The man in San Quentin, you've been living hell to me. You called it me since 1963. I've seen them come and go and I've seen them die. And long ago I stopped asking why. San Quentin, I hate every inch of you. You've cut me and you've scarred me through and through. And I'll walk out a wiser, weaker man Mr. Congressman, why can't you understand? When you're through You bend my heart and mind And you warp my soul Your stone walls turn my blood a little cold San Quentin, may you rot and burn in hell May your walls fall and may I live to tell May all the world forget you ever stood And the whole world will regret you did no good San Quentin, you've been living hell to 